open up to um, Proverbs chapter 24. That's where we'll be, Proverbs chapter 24. Uh, Let me review this with you. I want you to remember this. A lot of people come to you and ask, why didn't it happen for me? Proverbs are short little statements to help you remember general principles that God has put into order. They don't guarantee that the thing that is being talked about will definitely come to pass. I want you to know that. (laughs) It's a simple illustration, but there's other things at work like free will and other things that sometimes derail people. So it's just a short statement. It's probably the most practical book in the Old Testament because it teaches us skillful living. But the crazy thing is, and everybody remember what I'm about ready to say, this isn't about doing good. This is about being somebody (laughs) and letting the Lord's life live in and through you. And this is what it looks like is what Proverbs is telling you. Everybody understand that? So uh, Chuck Swindoll says something real great. This book accomplishes something no other biblical book does. Other books are t- articulate really high, lofty theological truths. Proverbs concerns itself completely with instructing people in the path of wisdom. Now, this thing that Tim Keller writes about the Proverbs, I think is really insightful. So... I've not shared this with you, so maybe you want to take note of this. It should be read, the Proverbs, synoptically. along, In other words, along with all the other wisdom books and the rest of the Bible to give you a complete picture of life on earth. Now listen, Proverb tells us that there's a created order put into the fabric of the world by its creator. That's why, in general, hard work tends to lead to good outcomes and laziness to bad ones, for example. But Ecclesiastes reminds us that because of sin, this created order is confused. In other words, it doesn't always work. You may work hard, but only thorns and thistles come. And the book of Job also reminds us that even though God's order is still operative, his justice is always working itself out so often it's hidden. So if you only read Proverbs, listen to this. This is what I really want you to hear from Tim Keller. You might become like one of Job's friends. You catching that? Who believes good people always have good lives, quote unquote. You understand? But if you only read Ecclesiastes, you might think it virtually impossible to enjoy well-being and satisfaction within the confines of this world under the sun. Therefore, read all of Scripture. And what is biblical wisdom that we're talking about in in the Proverbs? It's the ability to navigate life and situations that aren't spelled out in the Bible. It's giving you principles to live by and to pray about and ask the Lord to help you with by His Spirit. That's what this is. And you, if you turn, you don't have to. I'm going to read it for you. I want you in the book of uh, James to listen to the diff- or in the difference between heavenly wisdom versus demonic wisdom. You ready? Who is wise and understanding among you? Verse 13, chapter 3. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. Meekness means power under control, restrained. 
because you're wise. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking, i.e., self-seeking, he had to say self-seeking, in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Oh my, are you listening to that? Whoa. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle. Here's the one that gets me. This slays me. This kills me. Willing to yield. I don't always have to be right, I guess. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Spurgeon said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. You can know something and not be wise. Are you catching that? Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There's no fool so great as a fool who, uh, one who's known as a knowing fool. <laughs> but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. And uh, one other commentator said this. I put this up before, and I think he's right. I, I love this. Wisdom is a divine grace, which means resource, that involves biblical insight to God's purposes and ways. So we're, we're studying something, and it can get monotonous, I understand, because now we're into the 24th chapter. That's where we're turning. And some of them seem similar to you and me, us, we, But remember, we're now in the midst of the 30 wise sayings that sort of strike at the heart of uh, some of the other cultures who had these sorts of sayings. And uh, we delve in and it says this, don't be envious of evil men. Not only not be envious of evil men, but... Don't desire to be with them. Now, think about it. You say, well, okay, or women. Okay, I I don't really uh, desire to be evil. And the Bible tells us that if we're outside of Christ, we're child of the enemy. But listen, so am I advocating for you to... Not be friends with non-believers. That's not what I'm saying. Because Jesus was constantly with sinners, wasn't he? But I want you to catch something here. When Jesus was around sinners, they were impacted by his life. He wasn't impacted by their life. And I, there's nowhere in the scriptures that that's the other way of what I said there. And so you say to yourself, well, can I go this place? And can I do that thing? Am I able to do this? And I always think that the barometer of whether I could go someplace or do this thing or do that thing is if I'm, by the power of the Holy Spirit, influencing that place for Christ. If that place is influencing me for the enemy, then maybe I should stay away. Get what I'm saying? 
It's not a hard and fast rule. Can I go here? Can I do that? Can I dance? Can I not dance? Can I see that? Can I not see that? I don't know. What are you being influenced for? Or are you being the influencer? You get it? So that, don't be envious of evil men. And oftentimes we are envious. How many times have, you know, you said something in your heart, man, I wish I could be like her, or wow, I wish I could have what he has, or those sorts of things. But listen, those who are children of wrath, who haven't come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, their heart devises violence, the Bible tells us. And their lips talk of troublemaking. But, verse 3, through wisdom a house is built. In other words, instead of tearing down, God is calling you and I and us to build. Now praise the Lord, this isn't talking about nails and saws and hammers, or I'd be in deep trouble. Some of you would be right there, but I would be in deep trouble. But listen to this. Through wisdom, a house is built. Through wisdom, a house is built. Be careful of envying people that we shouldn't envy. Instead, focus upon your house and building it through biblical wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord that comes from fearing the Lord. That's what the foundation of the building is. What, uh, Proverbs 1-7, it's fear of the Lord, not recoiling fear, but that fear of respect and awe because of what he's done, and I heard you singing about it earlier today. No, build a house through wisdom, and by understand, understanding, establish it, right? By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I mean, one of the things that you would probably say or write down in your journal uh, as you're studying these things is, wow, Lord, help me to build my house biblically according to your resource and strength. Help me not to model and love the things of the world and hold up the people of the world more than I hold up Jesus Christ. Help me to adore and honor you in our house so that those living in my house have a great foundation of biblical wisdom and understanding. And that's what our rooms will be about. When you float or float, walk through our rooms, the fragrance of Christ is wafting through there. That's what your house is to be about. I mean, it could be Martha Stewart, I guess, and some are house, but that's not really what makes a house. What makes a house is the love of Christ and the love of the parents. If there's two, if there's one, the love of the parent and uh, uh, the one who's raising up those kids in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel, you're going to wage your own war. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge gets stronger. You get that? When you have biblical knowledge, you're stronger than Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was strong. (laughs) 
I mean, you're, you're, there's strength in biblical knowledge and wisdom and how to, how to maneuver in, in the right way, not manipulative way, but maneuver the things of life according to what the Lord has set for us. Right? And wise counsel, you're going to wage your own war. Do you notice this? Wisdom is a spiritual weapon. <laughs> we wage war not according to carnal weapons. Peter, put that sword away, dude. You don't get it. We don't wage war this way. We wage war th- with praise and prayer and love and forgiveness and kindness and grace and mercy and righteousness and sharing and giving and generosity. Those are the things we wage war with. And by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. It's a spiritual weapon. Now, where do you get counsel? When we read this, immediately we think, well, we got to have good friends. And I think that's true. You do have to have good friends. They sort of help you set the course. But listen, here's some wise counsel. David, Moses, Abraham, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel. Of course, Jesus, the ultimate. It's wise counsel. And then also, you know this. Well, Jesus, of course, the best counselor, Isaiah 9, 6. But Psalm 119, 24 says, Our heart delights in his statutes or words, word, and they are our counselors. Isn't that incredible? Man, when you let the word wash over you, one of the things that the word's doing for you and to you is it's counseling you. God is using the word to counsel us when we're stuck or we don't know which way to turn. How about this? Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. That word in the Hebrew is rebel. He doesn't open his mouth and the gate. In other words, listen, if you're living by, you could be the smartest human being alive outside of biblical wisdom, but here in terms of God's gate, that's where all the things that were being discussed in a city in ancient times happened. This is where they debated at the gate. And what this is saying is you're not even going to get to the gate if you're a fool and don't have biblical wisdom. And he who plots to do evil will be called a schemer, the master of mischief, or um, uh, uh, a troubling one is what that word means. He who plots to do evil. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. I laugh because you know where you always have scoffers? Constantly scoff, scoff, scoff. Start talking about end times things. Scoff, scoff, scoff. Talk about Israel. A lot of scoffers about Israel. Scoff, scoff, scoff. A lot of scoffers. But if, look at this in verse 10, a powerful proverb. Maybe put this up on your refrigerator here and learn this, and maybe I should too. If you or I, if we faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. 
You understand now, right? Maybe your maybe your life right now. You're coming up on Christmas. You're in the you know jolly mood, and you got the lights, and they're warm, and you're seeing everything, and everything's being decorated, and it just feels so good and right. But the Bible says that the day of adversity is where faith is really tested, and that's where we find out if you're strong in the Lord or if I'm strong in the Lord. And what's interesting about this, if this is true, and I, I think it is because the Lord takes us through these things to build and uh, do things, build into us. If this is true, why are we praying for comfort? We should be praying for adversity. You know, I used to coach football, and there's a lot of people who can play the sport. There are a lot of people. In fact, you see them when you watch TV. A lot of people with a lot of talent in football. But what's interesting is when the clock is ticking down and the game is tight, that's when you see if somebody has it. You know what I'm talking about? I could name names here, but I'd get in trouble. Uh, That's funny, but you don't know how funny that is. I could really press your buttons right now. But, but right, I, you know it, right? There's some people in the NFL now, and you know when they get in the fourth quarter, it ain't going to happen. But there's other people where you get in the fourth quarter and they're close, and you know it's going to happen. Because they've been tested and they thrive in adversity. Now, I'm using a football analogy, but the Bible says your strength is small if when adversity comes, everything gets knocked down. In the times of very difficult days, that's when adversity, uh, or excuse me, that's where your faith is tested, and that's where you see if you're strong in the Lord or not. There's this really interesting verse in Jeremiah. You want to go over there? If you do, great. If you don't, I'll read it to you if I can get there in time. And it's in uh, Jeremiah chapter 12. Verse 5, very interesting. The prophets knew about this. If you have run with the footmen, Jeremiah chapter 5 or 12, verse 5, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? I mean, a life in God's service is oftentimes very difficult. And many times, a life of service gets more difficult. It's, it's moving, listen to this, from footmen to wild horses. And how and what, what the implication here is, is as the Lord moves you on in ministry, you're going to run swifter and faster with Him. Isn't that fascinating? Well, it's fascinating to me. (laughs) How about this, though? Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote this, and this is where we go, ah, praise the Lord. This is a hard thing to think about, but Jerry Bridges said, uh, or had an encouraging word for the Christian who feels, anybody here, don't raise your hand, but don't you feel sometimes your strength is small? And you go, wow, oh, oh. Okay, somebody's proud. No, <laughs> I'm with you. I, find, I feel like my strength is small. And then I go, wait a minute here. 
I'm supposed to be strong when the adversity hits. Listen to this. And this is the, the, the principle from the New Testament. Commit yourself daily to him, Jerry Bridges says. Oh, I didn't even know that was going to be up there. Good job. Commit yourself daily to him for his supply of grace is sufficient for you. So go forward, weak and strong at the same time. Weak in order to be strong, strong in your weakness. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't it uh, comforting to know that when we are weak, he is strong. And so we continue on and press on in adversity. And then at 11, deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. What does a wise person do, folks? What does a wise person do, this proverb tells you? The wisdom of God looks out at the masses of people, whether you're walking down the school hallway or you're at work or you're on a business call or whatever. Looks down the masses of humanity and recognize there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are saved by Jesus Christ and filled with the Spirit and have eternity with Him and those who are going to hell. And that's hard to say, but the Bible says... Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Intervene. Speak to them. Love. Pray for them. Give. Be generous. And hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Intervene. If you say, though, surely we didn't know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? You ever said to yourself, ah, you know, whatever, I... I got a ball game to go to or whatever. <laughs> and what this proverb is saying here is don't be indifferent to people who are going to be separated for eternity from God. Don't be indifferent. It's not just go. Sh- I mean, he's saying get, get at the root of it. Care. Have a caring for people who don't know Christ. You, you know, uh, think of that person in your life who's unsaved, who's the most irritating person to you. Maybe it's just me. And then think about what's happening for them and where they're going. And if they're outside of Christ, why wouldn't they be irritating? And why wouldn't they do things that you disagree with? They're not Christians. So let's... Another prayer is, Lord, I mean, we sing it in that one song. Make, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours. Make me like you, Lord. Love, have me love like you love. And so if you say, surely we didn't know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He's going to act justly in all those situations. My son... Eat honey because it is good. Uh, and the honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste. And it's sort of like the Lord saying, uh, the taste for wisdom and knowledge is sort of an acquired taste. You love honey, but if you're tasting wisdom and knowledge, that's an acquired taste. And the more you do it, the more you're going to like it. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you've found it, there's a prospect and your hope will not be cut off. Wow, there's another thing that uh, biblical wisdom does for us. It gives us hope. Praise the Lord that biblical wisdom gives us hope. 
when we're in a confounding situation, one that you look at humanly and you go, this could never be solved. It just can't be. But yet, you know and we know nothing's too hard for the Lord. Nothing. Not some things. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And just think about the thing you were thinking about a year ago that was hard in your life. And you didn't think you'd ever make it. Or maybe two years ago or five years ago. And you just didn't think you were ever going to make it. And I want to remind you, you're sitting here now. And the Lord worked it out. Isn't that amazing? And for some of us, we're going through it right now. But there's hope in biblical wisdom. Don't lie in wait, O wicked man, verse 15, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. That's what wicked people do. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Do you know what biblical wisdom says? Get back up. (laughs) If you've failed, get back up. If you've sinned, get back up. If you've been derailed, get back up. If it happens seven times or seven times, 70 times, whatever it is, keep getting up because an unwise, wicked person falls down and stays there. Isn't that incredible? Here's why. Here's why you can get back up. It's not because you're so strong again. It's because he is. Mercies are new every morning, every morning. He withholds from us what we deserve. And grace, he gives us abundant grace, gives us what we don't deserve. And he can work out the situations, and he will work them out for sure. But don't rejoice. Here comes one. Oh, man, this is tough. This one is tough. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. Now you say, okay, I can do that. Well, here, let me bring up one word. Politics. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls and don't let your heart be glad when he stumbles. That's biblical wisdom. You don't gloat about your enemy falling. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him. When you gloat over your friend or your, excuse me, your enemy falling. And come on, be honest now. The Lord doesn't want us to be that way, his kids And he turns away his wrath from the person that you're gloating about. Did you catch that? It's like the Lord removes his wrath from the person you were happy fell just to prove a point that you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? So don't do it. Don't root for others to fail. What is it in your business? Root for the others. Be so others-oriented that you're cheering other people on to succeed. And have the Lord deal with your jealousy or whatever it is. What a scripture. Don't fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. Uh, Look back in 24, verse 1. Don't be envious of evil men. Don't be, don't fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. It's called an inclusio in the literary. It's, this is a one whole section in there. It's framed by the envious and the envious. For there will be no prospect for the evil man, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. 
You can say and look and go say, that guy's famous, that girl's famous, they have all that money and that house and those cars and all those sorts of things. And it looks like their relationships always work out and why them and not me, I'm a servant of the Lord. But you have to remember, and we don't say this in any spiritual superior way, we say it with a heart of compassion and fear for them that when they die, their light goes out. They're going where there is no light except for the fire. And that's what he's saying. My son, fear the Lord and the king. You know this, that we're to give respect to our earthly rulers. Some of you want to choke on that. (laughs) In this political environment. And yet we're to fear the Lord and out of that we'll pray for and love and Hope for the best for the people who have, and respect for the people who have been put in office. But don't associate with those given to change. Isn't that a funny thing to say? I think what he's saying here is not how you sort of picture it, like, or I sort of picture it. But in other words, it's don't associate with those who try to assert their independence from God. That's sort of what that's saying. For their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin of these two can bring. And now, that's the end of that section. Now watch this. This is really cool. There were further sayings of the wise that apparently they may have found later, and they added in here, these things also belong. It's not good to show partiality and judgment. Folks, when you have a situation... Your friend comes to you and says, you, did you hear about da 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 Well, don't, if you've only heard one side of the story, don't rush to judgment. I don't care if they're your friend or not. Don't judge with partiality in your relationships. Here, it might be talking about the courtroom area, but it, it applies there too. And he who says to the wicked, you are righteous, It's not good to show partiality, and it's not good to say to the wicked, you're righteous. Oh, man, you're such a good guy. You're such a great girl. Well, that's true in one sense, but in the spiritual sense, without Jesus Christ, they don't have the robes of righteousness, and they need it. And and we have the answer, Jesus himself. So don't nice people into heaven, or excuse me, into hell. Hey, how you doing? Great to see you day after day. Hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Hey, how you doing? Well, at some point, somebody's got to say to them, right? Share the gospel with them and love them in that way. And so um, you keep going here in the extra sayings of the wise, and it says, it's not good to show partiality. Don't say to the wicked, you're righteous. Uh Him the people will curse, nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. And rebuke here means tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. And he who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Don't think this is anything weird. This is just, in other words, if you get a right response, it's such a beautiful thing. There becomes this connection between people who have shared the gospel with others and with somebody who's responded. Well, prepare your outside work. I don't don't like this one. 
This is about planning. But I should be a planner. And it says, prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. Plan first, then build. And that'd be interesting now. You know, there's certain books out there called Intentional Parenting and things like that. And uh, I think they're all great books and good books, but I think you can be too rigid in your parenting, and that's not good either. But there does have to be a plan, you know? I'm not criticizing intentional parenting, by the way. That's not my purpose. I'm just saying you have to be, kids aren't, don't fit in a box all the time. Anyway, uh, but you do have to have a plan for whatever you're building, your family, your, your kids, your, your spiritual life. I mean, if uh, you want to be one who is intimate with the Lord, well, you've got to have time with the Lord. You can't just run from one thing to another, and neither can I. And don't be a witness against your neighbor without cause. Don't be a witness against your neighbor just because, for entertainment. Don't say false things about your neighbor, about people, just because. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, again, let me put one word out there for you. Politics. Sometimes we say things without even knowing. Here, let me put another thing out there. Sports. Sometimes here I am sitting in front of a TV criticizing an 18-year-old kid because I don't like what he did. Isn't that sick? And, uh, but so do you because you talk to Kenny Pickett a lot. But anyway, um, no, I'm just kidding. You don't do that. Well, don't be a witness against your neighbor, for would you deceive with your lips? Don't say I'll do to him just as he has done to me. I'll render the man according to his work. Don't say that. Wisdom and grace tells us not to say these things. Wisdom and grace is is about meekness, is about letting things go. It's about not having to win the argument. That's what wisdom and grace is about, and that's what this is about. Now, look, 30 through 34 is all about being lazy. (laughs) Every one of them. A lazy man had thorns in his field. His surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. It reminds me of my basement, but whatever. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. And a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Wow. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Here's what I think this is saying. Of course, practically. If you're, if you want to build something, you gotta build, you gotta get up and you gotta do it. But I think what this is saying too, in a bigger way, is don't be a slug spiritually. <laughs> be alert. Be, uh, awake. Be sober. Be vil- vigilant. There's an enemy that wants to attack you and knock you out. And, uh, there's a God who loves you and wants to meet with you. And there's a God who loves to hear from you in praise and prayer. And oftentimes we speed through the day and we think, oh, if I just turn on some music, that might do it. Or if I, you know, tell him my laundry list as I'm walking in the office, that'll do it. But here it says, don't be a sluggard spiritually. And then we go here, further wise sayings of Solomon. This is fascinating. Those who are... Though these also are Proverbs of Solomon. Now watch, this is why you got to know the kings. It's why I put my chicken scratch back there, and I hope you pick it up. There's a 
chart back there that I hand wrote. It's nasty. It's hard to read, but if you can read it, you'll love it. It's got all the kings listed when they were in power for both Israel and Judah. And here, uh, one of the kings named Hezekiah came after Solomon. Solomon, who's writing this. Do you get it? Everybody get it? These aren't Solomon. Apparently, something happened here where they went and found more Proverbs, and the men of Hezekiah did it. Now, Hezekiah, just think about this for a minute. Here's a, here's a uh, sermon right here. Hezekiah came after, and he put in reforms so that it would push the Israelites towards closeness to God again. And one of the things he did, among a lot, he put away all the bad stuff, you know, the shrines and all that sort of thing. But one of the things that he did is he searched high and low for the word of God. And apparently, some of his folks found some more Proverbs. Now, think about it. Now, listen. Okay, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think this is powerful. Think about it. The things that you do for the Lord or do uh, unto the Lord, that's what I want to say, not for the Lord, but you do unto the Lord now. Maybe nobody will ever see. Maybe you have a journal you've been writing in, all the things that the Lord is teaching you. Or maybe, um, I don't know, there's prayers that you've been praying for all this time and you hadn't seen any fruit from it. Maybe sometime down the line, God's going to use it for his good and glory. Here's the addendum. It's like, oh, we found these. And these men of Hezekiah who had sort of a, a, a revival in Israel, what was one thing that they cherished? This is always how it is in a revival. Who here is prays for a revival? Okay, here's some of them. You ready? Prayer. People are praying and when they pray, listen, they're not pointing the finger like, can you believe that guy on TV? He needs to repent. No, they have a burden for their own sin. Not for other people's sin, for their sin. Yes, they have a burden for other people's sin, but it's their sin first. And they pray and they get off their phones and they get on their knees and they pray. That's one. If you study all revivals, all revivals have that in there. Prayer and repentance of our own sin, mourning over sin. And here's a third one. The interest in the word of God comes back. Like really the word of God. And here Hezekiah happened and he was, or it happened in Hezekiah's time. And here they find it. And these men of Hezekiah write these down or, or at least whatever, get them to the people so they can compile them. And this is fascinating. And what happens here is, uh, verses 2 through 15 sort of seem like messages or matters or things that matter in the royal court. Because remember, he's a king. So you get what I'm saying? And uh, Hezekiah found them and wanted to publish them again. And then 16 through 27 Speak of human conflict generally. And ever been in court, by the way? Who raise your hand? You've been in court. I got news for you. Court is contentious. And here he's putting out some principles about being in the king's court. And many people believe that the 
people who he is directing these proverbs to, at the beginning especially, are the messengers, or what they call the courtiers. How do you say it? Courtiers? Courtiers? What did you say? Courtier. But I don't think they spoke French and Hebrew, but okay, but we'll see. No, I'm kidding you. I agree with you. Something like that. The messengers who were in the courtroom. Now, if that's true, he's speaking to the messengers who are coming from the king's court. You, in a spiritual sense. Listen to this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. What a beautiful proverb. Catch this. Some people, some of the old early church fathers thought that this meant that God concealed his plan or his gospel in nature. And certainly there's part of that. And the reason is, is because some of the language that they use here. And that it was the glory of kings. It was the duty of the kings. It was the king's job to search out then what God concealed in nature. One of the reasons they think it's nature is because they use Elohim here for God instead of Yahweh. And Elohim is usually associated with God's creative capabilities or abilities. But nevertheless, in a human situation, remember when the Lord says in the New Testament, you always scratch your head when you get to this part in the gospel. Well, you guys aren't paying attention. You're sort of joking around. You're not really getting this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start talking in parables, and many of you aren't going to get it. And you go, what? It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But watch this. When you dig and you find it for yourself, just you and the Lord, and the Lord reveals it to you, it becomes amazingly glorious. Amen? Not when I say it and you learn it. I mean, that's good. But when you are with the Lord by yourself and you're searching something out and he reveals it to you through his word, boom, that's amazing. So when you read it, it, wow, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings, you guys are royalty, is to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable as this is really puzzling to the commentators and sort of puzzling to me. But of course, when we speak of the ideal King, he's a judge and that's what's in view here. But the Bible tells us in Romans eleven thirty three that our King of Kings, his heart is unsearchable. So maybe it's talking about that, but we know this, that in the court areas, taking away the dross from silver, go to the silversmith for jewelry, and take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established. We know this, in the kingdom of God, or excuse me, in this kingdom, uh, what they were asking them to do, especially Hezekiah, this was happening. They were, now I know Solomon wrote it, but Hezekiah found it, and this probably resonated with him. One of the things you have to do is to take away the wicked elements in the kingdom. He's saying, remove the wicked before the king, and your throne will be established in righteousness. And you and I have this thing called the flesh, and that flesh is uh, geared towards me, myself, and I, and it likes the earthly wisdom 
And a lot of the things that are shiny and new and sensual and all those thorns appeal to the flesh. And we're to put off the flesh, to take that away and to reckon that dead. And that's sort of that thing there. That's what the idea there. Here in verse 6, don't exalt yourself in the presence of the king. If you did that in this court, you know what would happen. The sword would go right to your head and off you'd go. Or off it go. And don't stand in the place of the great. For it's better that he say to you, come up here. A wise person isn't interested. Listen. Listen. A wise person isn't interested in self-promotion. In fact, self-promotion to the wise, to the biblical Christian, to the Holy Spirit-filled Christian, that's no good. It doesn't work. What we're promoted by is just being a faithful, not a successful, just being a faithful servant and pleasing the Lord. And when he says come up here or he says go over there, that's what we do. And then that you should be put in the lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. And I think Jesus drew from this right here. Remember when Jesus talked about going to the the party area and, you know, picking the first seat, but really the best thing to do for a Christian is to pick the last seat. Remember that? I think he drew from this. Well, anyway, don't go hastily to court. Wise people are prepared. Somebody once told me first week of practicing law, Know your case so well that you don't need notes and then take your notes. And that was such a great thing. Know it inside and out. If the judge asks you a question you weren't expecting, make sure you know it. And that's what a wise Christian does. They're nimble in the best sense in dividing the word, in applying the word, in knowing the word. Don't go hastily out there for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame. Debate your case with your neighbor and don't disclose the secret to another. What does a wise person do? They keep confidentiality. You know that? Don't be a blabber. If you're in ministry, and you all are, I'm not talking about back here, don't be a blabber. If you're doing something, you don't have to go tell everybody about it. You can keep it quiet. That's what wise people do. And don't disclose secrets to another, lest he who hears it expose your same and your reputation uh, be ruined. And then here, I was driving us to this. I love this verse, and I think you do too. Here's what wise people are like in the court of God. When they speak, it's a word fitly spoken like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. You know what wise people do? There's this thing that the Lord allows them to do. He trains them up. The Lord was perfect at it, is that they speak the right thing at the right time. Do you know you can speak the right thing at the wrong time? Do you know that? I know a lot of people, man. They're always speaking the right thing, right thing, right thing, right thing, right thing. And all the person in front of them needs is a hug. But no, they have to say their peace. They have to say their peace. They have to say their peace. And they just drive people in the ground sometimes. And there's people on the other side of that coin. They never say anything. And they're always hugging. 
but they never tell any truth, right? So this is something that the Lord wants us to do, is to be people whose speech fits perfectly at the right time in the right way. Like the cold of snow in harvest is a faithful messenger to those who sent him. Listen, if you're a messenger from God, you're a messenger in his courts. Listen, are you reliable? Are you faithful? Will you follow through? And when you do, watch this. You refresh the soul of the master. The Lord looks down and goes, ah. You did it right on time, just like I asked. So beautiful. Thank you. Isn't that amazing? No. Well, that's best best I got right there. But anyway, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. In other words, do you get that? A gentle tongue breaks a bone. Everybody understand that one perfectly? I think what it's saying is that a gentle spirit, even when you have to say hard things, can be persuasive. You don't always have to kill people with your speech. You can do it gently, but still say truth. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need. Don't overindulge, lest you fill and be vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. And when you're ministering to people, you got to know, you got to pick up the cues here, right? You're always doing, maybe the person needs to be alone, but... Anyway, you you think about that. And a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Being a gossip, listen, is like, uh, and spiritually, is like using an assault weapon on people. That's what gossip is. Be careful, man. Don't do it. You could really do a lot of harm to people. I could really do a lot of harm to people. And confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. (laughs) Confidence in an unfaithful man, a fair-weather friend, is like a bad tooth (laughs) and a foot out of joint. Anybody here ever had a foot out of joint? That would be painful. Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar... Uh, uh, on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. (laughs) It's the same thing. Singing songs to people is great, but sometimes it's like pouring vinegar in. They just need you to be there. You you just, right? Uh, Learning how to minister according to the uh, uh, Spirit of God. If your enemy is hungry... Uh, Give him bread to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. That's self-explanatory. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, most people think that this is talking about a good thing, and the Lord will reward you. And that's this, is that oftentimes people in the ancient culture would share hot coals to keep people warm by putting in their basket that they carried on their head. And that's... Maybe what that's talking about. Most people believe whatever so you will heap coals of fire on his head means it means something good because it says the Lord will reward you for it. Uh, So that's probably it. But the north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and a angry countenance. Hey, listen... (laughs) What does this mean? It it means this. If you're around somebody gossiping, deal sternly with them. Tell them you don't want to participate. 
Get away from it. Don't laugh with them. Let the north wind blow it out and get away from it. You get it? Don't participate. It's like having an assault weapon. It's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. That's shared exactly as 21 verse 9. It's sort of self-explanatory. And as cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. Man, when you get good news spiritually, oh, it's like a, a drink on a hot day, isn't it? Don't you love that? That's what that's talking about. It's not good, uh, or excuse me, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring in a polluted well. Persevere. Unbelievers are watching. If you participate and compromise in the things that they do, it can make you dirty and murky and be a really terrible witness and not refreshing to their soul. So don't compromise. And it's not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. So to seek one's own glory is not glory. Uh, don't search out matters that's beyond your reach. <laughs> that's what many think this proverb means. You ever had the one person who always has to know everything about everything that God does in his word and isn't satisfied and is anxious, actually, if they don't know everything about the word of God? Well, that's what this is sort of saying. Don't search out matters that beyond your reach. Some things are just the Lord's. Don't drive yourself to the mat because you don't understand something in the Bible. Now, the Bible encourages you to look into the claims. Not afraid of that. But some things, his ways are just higher. And whoever has no rule in his own spirit, those who are undisciplined, listen to this, amazing. Oh boy, who here is disciplined? I'm, I'm putting my hands down. Yeah. Well, my, yeah. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is undisciplined, or is, that's talking about, you know, not being disciplined, is like a city broken down without walls. You're, listen, you're defenseless spiritually when you don't regularly do the things that feed you and build you up. Spend time with the Lord, praise, prayer. Here's another one. Share the gospel and serve others. I'm convinced in fellowship and be, you know, in exhortation with people. Okay, we're done for the night. I can see we're ready to be done. So let's pray. And um, we'll go forward. So, Lord, we come uh, to you and we ask, Lord, that you would knit these things. Help us uh, to be able to live these things out because we need you. We don't want to be like Job's friends. We want to be in a place of weakness so you could be strong in our lives. So, Lord, fill us afresh here tonight because I'll bet there's people who are going to go out tomorrow and meet with others who are enemies, who need to hear Jesus, who need to be stopped from going to the slaughter, and many other things. So help us, Lord, would you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.